Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. So if any of you have listened to me before, you probably know that I do fully believe in recovery, and not only from a personal, but from a professional perspective, since I'm someone who is recovered, and also because I'm someone who helps people get there. However, I also know that there are some people out there who have tried, oftentimes for years, to achieve recovery. They've gone to traditional therapy, they've gone to treatment centers, and I get lots of messages and questions about how long recovery will take. And believe me, I hear the frustration and despair when it seems like nothing really seems to help. And I don't just hear it from people who have eating disorders, but also from their loved ones. And I'm not so naive as to think that there's only one way that will work for everyone out there. Like I said, I believe in therapy or else I would not have such a passion for it and provide it in my own practice. So that being said, I could have a whole host of podcasts just dedicated to discussing and debating what it is about therapy that creates change in people. So in just thinking about a few things I could bring up, I could ask if it's the client's client therapist relationship, or is it when the client is ready for change, or is it actually just the treatment protocols and techniques used, or some combination of all of those things, or none of them. But okay, my head's spinning now. I'm going down a rabbit hole. But I promise you, all of this that I'm just saying, it's all relevant to our show and to our guest today. And if you've listened to any of my past podcasts, you know I've had guests on who've come to discuss alternative healing methods, ones that they have found that work not only for them, but for the people who've come to work with them. And you may wonder why I, as a psychologist, would have anyone on here who uses such different treatment methods than I use myself with my own patients. And it's just what I said before. It's because we're all so different, unique. And you know what? If traditional treatment hasn't worked for them, then I do think it's worthwhile for me to bring people on here to discuss other methods out there that they're using and that they've used with people that have been helpful. So that being said, Our guest today is not only someone who has gone through her own journey with an eating disorder, but also someone who's here to introduce a non-traditional alternative mode to help people heal and reach recovery. Paige Rousseau is a subconscious health practitioner, published writer, poet, and award-winning impact speaker stationed in Colorado. She's the founder and owner of her integrative practice, Inner Realm Wellness, LLC, where she aids clients around the globe in processing trauma and disease subconsciously using over 14 plus different modalities from Eastern and Western medicine combined. Her work is fueled by losing a decade of her life to anorexia, severe depression, anxiety, self-harm, various traumas, and ineffective prescription meds. Paige, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's always an honor to connect with like-minded people. So I'm really excited for this. 
So, um, you know, as, as most people on the show, uh, you know, tend to have a history with uh, eating disorders and body struggles. And I'm just curious if you'd be open and willing to share a little bit about uh, how you got here at this point in your life and maybe your own journey to getting here. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually perfect timing to talk about this because I am writing a chapter in a book that is delving into this eating disorder concept. I had spent so many years of my life struggling with anorexia, thinking it was a quote unquote me problem. And it very much is and was in the sense that I think disease and disorder are very personal to the person experiencing it. But what I have researched and learned a lot about is family history and certain predispositions and certain family patterns that I inherited subconsciously, meaning not even knowing it. And I really worked so hard when I was struggling with anorexia to take it all on as my own personal burden because I didn't want to burden anyone else. And so I developed uh, anorexia in high school, not knowing that's what that was, but I was super competitive. I was struggling with a lot of perfectionism and I was my own worst enemy. And so it didn't really get into its full-blown state until I moved off to college away from home. And a lot of the disorder that I had been repressing within myself started exposing itself in college. And I started playing a lot of games with myself as far as how small can I eat, right? A lot of the similar themes that you'll find with other folks that struggle with eating disorders were very blatant for me. I had a full-blown exercise addiction, no matter if I was sick with a fever or I had other things going on. I was super stressed, you know, performing at school with top grades. I had to get to the gym or I wasn't allowed to do certain things. And there was a lot of punishment there and a lot of self-loathing at the root of that. So I say that I lost over a decade of my life to the revolving door operation of being in and out of treatment. And I am luckily now in a position where I professionally help people struggling with trauma, addiction, you know, uh, depression, anxiety, similar things that I've experienced. And I'm still integrating the magnitude of that chapter of my life because I spent so long in treatment trying to figure out, quote unquote, what was wrong with me or why I was this way. And it was this spiral of my mind just digging deeper, deeper grooves instead of really focusing on why it was developed in the first place, why any disorder or diagnosis is manifest in the first place. And for me, in my experience, the development of anorexia was the result of what had come prior to it. So much of my childhood was traumatizing for me, and I actually had no recollection of my childhood until three years ago, and I had reclaimed all of my repressed memories. And so I was working so much on focusing on the anorexia, which, of course, is so important and so valid to disrupt those behaviors. But recently, my journey has lent me more towards why it developed in the first place. But, you know, I love so many things you said. I think we can go in so many different directions there. Um, and you're such timely. Um, it, it's so timely, like you said, being on the show right now, just for yourself, writing the cha- the book chapter. But also, um, I think that's so common for people that, you know, some of the behaviors and some of the eating disorder um, thoughts and feelings do start when people are in middle school, high school, and then things really shift and change in when people get to college. And right now, so many people are starting college and they're transitioning there. And um, it's unfortunate 
um, that that is exactly what happens. And to your point, like not really knowing, oh, this is an eating disorder. This is what's going on. Um, and I'm wondering for you, like, how did you realize, oh my gosh, like I'm actually sick. This is an illness. This isn't just me like struggling with exercise or struggling with figuring out what to eat or I'm failing at dieting. Like, how did you actually realize I need help? Yeah, this is actually a really powerful question. I appreciate you asking because I had no idea what an eating disorder was. And I was the person, you know, I'm very smart. We're all very smart in the ways that we choose to cope or maybe the ways that we're not choosing that we cope that show up anyway. But I was the one that was up, you know, all hours of the night because I didn't know the difference. I didn't know the connection between not eating and not sleeping. I had no understanding on a physiological level that eating is required in order for the body to have its baseline and circadian rhythms and REM sleep and all that. So I actually... When I was in my full-blown, you know, disorder, I was doing months and months in advance of homework because I just needed things to occupy my mind and my time and distract me from the biggest elephant in the room. And so I would research until five in the morning, six in the morning, like certain weird abstract keywords because I didn't know what an eating disorder was. So I would type in specific behaviors that I was doing. I would ask Google, like, help me, or what is this? Or what does this mean? And it was very vague until, you know, one day I researched like disordered eating. And all of a sudden there were all of these diagnoses that I could really dive into. And even then, right? Because Google's a little bit dangerous sometimes when you get into these rabbit holes and you start self-diagnosing. I wasn't uh, convinced that that was my life. And so I found, you know, I was really over-involved in school. I was like a high achiever, of course, as a lot of people with eating disorders are and running on adrenaline. And I was part of six to eight different clubs. And a lot of those clubs were service-oriented, peer helping and, you know, helping educate about self-harm and mental health and other things that I was struggling with in a very indirect way. Like I wanted to be a part of it, but I didn't know how to really honor my truth, which was that I needed the help that I was offering others. Mm -hmm. And so amongst these clubs that were going on at school and many of which I was helping put on, I walked into an eating disorder awareness meeting as somebody who was so desperate, but also very curious because I didn't yet associate with myself as part of that population, but it was such a new world to me. And so there were a lot of seeds that were planted. And at the root of me walking into this meeting and watching this presentation about how to help students with eating disorders, I'm taking notes, right? And I'm like trying to figure out like, is this me? And if so, nobody can know. And so as much as I wanted to be seen and validated for the struggle, I also was equally committed to hiding it. So it was this really like catch 22 energy of chasing my tail and not wanting to be found out, but also desperately critically needing that support. So, you know, one thing led to another and I found a therapist on campus and I was working with a psychiatrist at the time off campus. And I developed this team that essentially mirrored to me. Uh, this is a thing that you have. And I neglected that diagnosis for a long time. And I fought against it for a long time. And sometimes, you know, the bigger holes, the bigger holes you dig, uh, I got to a point where I had to withdraw from school because things became so acute that behaviorally, right, when you're not eating for days at a time, like I knew that wasn't sustainable. I knew that I couldn't keep playing this game with myself because there was no end goal. 
other than to look how I felt. And I felt like hell. And so I was very dedicated to looking that way. And circumstantially, I wasn't going to be able to make it through the semester, right? I wasn't going to be able to make it through the week. I wasn't going to be able to make it through the day. And so my ability to tolerate this uh, game that I was playing with myself got less and less and less, and it was very dangerous. And so I think to answer your question more directly, the point at which I knew it was an issue was when I could no longer hide it from other people, when other people started getting very aware of my you know, destabilization. I was called actually manic in one of my classes from one of my professors who recognized the behavior right away. She had historically struggled when she was young and she knew me for the two years that I was at that school and she saw the entire decline. So there were things about me as much as I was so masterful in trying to disguise the struggle where, you know, it seeps over and people start to, you know, see you more in a more authentic and real way and call you out and care about you. And I had a great community of people that helped me get the support that I needed. It's so interesting, right? It's like this the hidden illness that you think, oh, I'm so good at hiding this. But yeah, was, over time, especially people close to you, it's you can't hide it for very long. Right. And, you know, at school, right, like going home for holidays or having family come to visit you, like there are certain mile markers where it's no longer something you can hide, right? Eating meals with friends that started to stop really quickly. And so all my friends are like, what's going on? And the more isolated I grew and all the classic behaviors were developed uh, very quickly. And and then, you know, decisions had to be made because it's life and death. And so I got really immersed into the treatment world for a very long time. I'm curious for you too, because, you know, people I work with, it's, it's been this very hard decision of like, oh no, I can't leave school. Oh no, I I can't. That's, you know, that's too disruptive, especially if you are this high achieving perfectionist who's like very um, driven and has a goal of graduating at a certain time. Um, Was that a hard decision for you? Or was that like, you were at that point where like, I am actually not capable of functioning. Yeah, at that point, I was certainly not capable of functioning. I, it's like, what do you do when all the vices that you perceive are working for you don't work anymore? Then where do you turn? Where do you go? And I remember actually the day being hysterical because I was so emotionally dysregulated. And again, I did not understand the the connection between food and emotions. I didn't understand the connection between eating food is grounding and regulates your system and then, you know, your ability to emote. And I was so over my window all the time. I was just absolutely blown out of proportion and trying to, you know, mute things and silence things, the bigger they got. And uh, it overflowed in really irrational ways. And so I was on the phone with my mom in the lobby of my apartment building and I was screaming and I was crying and it was essentially like a child having a temper tantrum because I just couldn't contain the stress and the struggle anymore. And I remember people coming out of their dorm rooms, very concerned because you would have thought that the worst had happened that, you know, somebody had passed or you got catastrophic news or whatever it was. And for me, every moment of my life felt like that. Every small thing became a big thing. Everything that I perceived was completely unmanageable and intolerable. And so I knew that was the moment where I was like, I cannot be here for one more minute or I'm going to die. And um, that was the beginning of the end. And and it's okay because 
one thing leads to another, right? And of course, it got me to where I am, thankfully. But yeah, no matter like the grades, the the every facade that I was working to keep up just wasn't worth it for me at that point. I honestly wasn't really ready to go away to school. It was kind of like six on one, half a dozen on the other. I needed to get away from my home environment, but it just transferred into another environment of stress at that point. And I love what you said too, like right at that moment, you needed to treat your body. You'd like to get yourself actually physically stable. Um, that was not the time to start thinking about like, what led up to this? Why did I have this? Like there's different levels of treatment and care. And at that point it was, sounds like it was really like, you need to get to a space where you're actually, your body is stable and yeah. okay. And, um, you know, the, it sounds like the work you're doing now is much, much different, but I think, you know, sometimes people get confused about like, what does treatment look like? And, you know, at that point, like you said, you weren't even getting enough into your body where you could, your body could function, or you could even think clearly, or you could even feel your emotions or have them stable. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, like going in, how long was that part for you until you actually felt like your body was at a place where it was stable? Wow. I mean, my, I had very much like a merry-go-round experience in and out of treatment. And I would say the first treatment center that I went to back home after I withdrew from school was a very temporary experience. It was, you know, a couple months and I was the quote unquote perfect patient. I did everything they said. I had no other reference point as to what treatment was or wasn't. And so I just kind of followed suit and subconsciously, you know, I, I had this underlying energy that I wasn't aware of that was so committed to doing everything they said so that I could go back to school and relapse. It was like school was my freedom center to let the eating disorder run away with itself. And I was so committed. There was a part of me that was so committed to letting it do that. And so, you know, I don't feel that the first treatment center was really substantial enough for me to be physically stable. And then the next time I went back to school, I relapsed very quickly. I came back out of school very fast. And I got on a plane and I went across the country. And that was like the first moment that my family was like, this is not a one and done situation. And this is we're in this for the long game. And that was news to me as well, because I, I didn't realize the depth of the hole that I had dug and that I didn't know how to find my way back out. And so the physical stability feels kind of like a yo-yo, like physically I could find stability from treatment, but then I'd walk out the door and relapse. And then I would, you know, be in that for a long time. And then I'd walk back in the doors of treatment. And I would say that stability physically found its way to my life, maybe six years after that. And I only mean that in the sense that I was finally, quote unquote, okay enough to maintain my life and my duties and maybe be in an IOP program here and there. But physically, regardless of the behaviors that I was still engaging in, my body was never again at its lowest or worst like it was that first time in school. And so thankfully, you know, the body is very resilient. And I was able to see that even though the eating disorder didn't like that. I was really grateful to have my body hold on as long as it did. And, and the reason I'm really asking that too is, you know, there's a lot of um, misunderstanding. I think people think, oh, if 
you go to treatment, you are eating again, then the eating disorders done. Like you're, you're cured or, you know, there's a lot of, especially family members or friends think, oh, you're now you're done with treatment. You're good. Like it's over. And that's really the, the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, to your point now, like you're so many years out and um, there's still work that's going on, right? There's just so much, like you said, you're looking at like the why and where this came from and the the underlying like reasons and things like that. And um, just kind of want to get to that too. So um, like fast forward to now, interesting. You said like you didn't remember your childhood. So were you aware you didn't remember your childhood or was this something that kind of came about later? Like what, what was going on for you there? Yeah, I had known the story of my life through the lenses of family members. And so I was not in a position where I could ever confirm or deny what had happened to me. And so the stories that I was told about my life was that I was a very happy kid. I knew that I had had night terrors until age seven. That's something that everybody in my family was aware of. I would wake up bloody murder every night and not have any recollection as to what happened the following day. So I actually began therapy at age seven and I was bullied in school and I remembered some aspects of that sort of kind of, but not really. A lot of my life was very fragmented and like blacked out is the only way I can name it. And I remember feeling like a failure when it came to working with tons of these treatment teams and professional therapists and nutritionists and dietitians and everybody, because everyone's wondering why they're like, why can't you just eat? Why do you have this eating disorder? Why is this so hard? Why are you so depressed? There were all these very smart and topical questions that were being thrown my way. And for me, as you know, a wise woman, I wanted to appease them and have some answer. And I, I really couldn't figure it out no matter how much I tried. And I tried every second of the day. I mean, I was thinking my way through life. And so, you know, for people with eating disorders or mental health situations, this is what we do is we live in the head. And so for me, I just felt like I was spinning my wheels. Um, so, so I knew that so much of my life was not accessible, but I didn't know why. And it wasn't until three years ago, maybe a little bit less that I had a very divine experience where all of my memories came flooding back to me in chronology. So, you know, I talk about trauma. I've studied trauma from the textbooks, but I never understood what that meant as it applies to the person to person situation. And I didn't know that I had trauma and trauma is such a big concept and we could talk about that forever. Right. But everyone has trauma, whether we're aware of it or not. And the way that my trauma showed up for me, not just the night terrors, not just the bullying, but a lot of other things is that it it got repressed and there was a lot under the surface subconsciously that I gained access to only a few years ago. And I feel that that happened for a couple reasons. For me personally, I actually went off all of my prescription medication four years ago, which I always, always say, don't do that without professional guidance. Okay. I would not recommend doing what I did. However, when my body started rebalancing and finding its biochemical base point, I became more resourced within myself to receive whatever had been under the surface for a long time. So I was taken through the sequence of my life from preschool to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, all the way up until high school. And I remembered very detailed things that I had not thought about since that time in my life. And so 
I discovered repressed sexual trauma. I felt like I had found the missing link of the puzzle that so many people were asking me about all these years. And that has been something that I've continued to integrate in my life and really helped me understand why certain things happen the way that they happened for me. So with, you know, maybe people listening hearing, did that happen all in one like day? Was it like this moment or was it over time? Like that sounds like it would be very overwhelming. It was, and it is, and it's still very big as far as seeing the magnitude of how that experience has continued to shape my life. Um, the re- the reclamation is what I call it. The reclamation of the memories happened in one evening. And that's why I say it was very divine because I was going to bed to rest and I was saying my prayers and incantations as I do before setting up for the next day. And I remembered, this was age 27 or so, I remembered having a secret that I hadn't remembered since making this secret with myself since making this pact with myself when I was a kid. And I remember thinking to myself, that's bizarre. Like I have this secret that in recovery, you know, sickness thrives in secrecy. And so when you're in recovery from an eating disorder, you don't want to have secrets anymore. Like I was in therapy and I was so comfortable sharing the truth of my life because my recovery kind of depends on my honesty. And the fact that I had remembered, it kind of came in a flash. I just remembered the secret. And I was like, that's bizarre. I probably shouldn't be having secrets at this point in my life. And I went deeper into it. And I kind of became my own client in that moment. You know, I work with people who have repressed memories and help them really integrate the truth of what that means and the cells that have been stagnated under the surface since that original trauma tucked away. And so I, I was kind of doing with myself what I did with clients. And it was a very divine and gentle experience, but overwhelming nonetheless. And so after I remembered the secret, I was really working to maintain a curious lens about it. And from there, it was like a flood. It was just like images of all the years of my life that I had forgot. And there was this like guiding entity. The way I explain it is kind of like the movie A Christmas Carol. There's this like guide that comes to you and shows you every past version of you. And I felt like that was happening to me. And I was shown all of these past versions of me. And the question that this guy kept asking was, what else do you remember? What else do you remember? What else do you remember? So it was a very gentle kind of meditative probing of what are the details of this room? What are the details of your second grade class? Who are your peers? What are your outfits? What are your haircuts? Right? Like, and all these things just kept coming to the table. And I was so grateful because it proved to me that I was more resourced. It proved to me that I had within me this container that I've worked so hard to protect now that could really support this information. And so it's been a long process of integrating because once the memories came back all in that night, I took it to my therapist the next day, of course, and she validated for me how big that was because we'd been seeking something like this for a really long time. And now it's the great unraveling. Like, and I mean that in a gentle way. I just mean, I'm in a place now to deal with all the facts, like everything's finally on the table. And it's very liberating for me because instead of people telling me what my life experience was, I get to actually say, Hey, that wasn't true. Or that was true. Or this is really what's up and now I get to be of service to people struggling with the same thing so you know 
it's a, it's a lot of things. It's a culmination. The healing is not just about one moment or one incident or one experience. It's, it's all of it. And so I feel like I've been spinning my wheels for a long time. And finally I get to breathe and pause and say, okay, I know I signed up for a lot in this lifetime and it's for a reason. So you said you were already doing this kind of work with people before this happened. Um, and so that's interesting to me. So it's like you were doing it with yourself. Like, how did you get into doing the work you were doing before you even had this experience yourself? Yeah. So I had been in school studying, you know, while I was also in treatment, I was studying contemplative psychology. I'm also a writer. I had learned so much in treatment as far as therapeutic modalities and methods like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, right? Like I had acquired all the tools of compartmentalizing your thoughts and titrating your thoughts and black and white thinking and using your wise mind and all of these skills that are brought to that environment. And I'm so grateful for that. I've always had an affinity for healing. I've always had really deep spiritual experiences that have led me to the psyche. And so in school, I had studied you know, conscious and subconscious brain. I've studied trauma. I studied the personal and transpersonal, the spirit and science, like all of these intersections of all these frameworks of our consciousness and our existence. And at the same time, I wasn't ready to accept what I was learning. And I didn't know how to integrate what I was learning because I was so disembodied when I was learning it. Right. And so I learned about this subconscious emotional processing system eight or nine years ago. And I received sessions at the time and I almost was frightened by how powerfully helpful it was. And I wasn't ready to make those changes at that time. So I had to study everything under the sun and kind of go back and forth on all ends of the spectrum before coming back around and saying, oh, I understand this now. And I understand why this is so crucial. On top of that, like I love therapy. I've said it a million times already today. I started when I was a kid, but there was so much about my revolving door experience in and out of treatment that forced me to question, why aren't we getting to the root trauma? Because I do feel that the root trauma that I experienced that I remembered three years ago was a result of me actually doing a lot of subconscious work, right? So under the surface, the things that you don't know are going on are the things that you maybe aren't aware of why you're experiencing. And so the subconscious healing started helping me raise my vibration and almost prep myself to receive that information that did eventually come through. So the subconscious healing work is the work that's really helped me feel like recovery is sustaining itself, right? And it's different for everybody. These are choices we have to make every single day. And we want to thread those right choices next to the others and the others to make it really last. But um, yeah, so I, I've been around the merry-go-round a lot of times and had to experience the subconscious work long ago and then revisit it, you know, four years ago before I said, this is the thing that's helped me the most. And I've had my most transformative moments with this work. And so now I've launched a business about it and I get to offer it to others um, in conjunction with what else they're doing. So not to replace their and all of that other stuff, but just to help them gain a deeper understanding of why the mind is operating the way it does, why the anorexia or bulimia or whatever is showing up is showing up and what role it's playing in your life, what it's protecting you from and how we can upgrade those original memories that are archived under the surface to help 
people heal in a really sustainable way. So somebody says, okay, so what's the difference between what you do and therapy or say hypnosis or any of that? Like, how would you describe, like if somebody came to see you or to work with you, how would you describe it to them? Yeah, totally. So therapy generally, these are all generalizations because it depends on the practitioner, right? But therapy in general is more of a conscious talk therapy processing experience. So you're going to talk about the things that are running through your mind, the things that you can control that you say out loud. What I'm saying out loud is being controlled by 5% of my brain, which is the conscious analytical brain. It controls our decisions, how we say yes or no to something and how we process our life, right? But subconsciously, what's under the surface is 95% of our experience. So the involuntary things, this shows up as involuntary thought patterns, those voices that might be telling you you're not good enough, or you're not worthy, or you can't do it, or behaviors that you've developed like anorexia or bulimia or addiction, or relationship patterns of, you know, people pleasing, or like, narcissism or self-sacrificing or martyrdom like those are all behavioral things essentially anything you're not choosing to experience but you're experiencing anyway are subconsciously driven it's what controls our heartbeat it's what controls our yawning our blinking our involuntary experiences and so hypnosis on the other hand is a subconscious method because it drops us deeper into like a theta wave brain state so we're in a deeper state of experience My method specifically that I offer people incorporates over 14 methodologies from Eastern and Western medicine combined. So some of those things, and you don't have to understand all these things for this system to really benefit, but some of those things would be like chiropractic philosophy. We use muscle reflex testing to communicate with the subconscious mind, um, shamanism, water consciousness theory, positive affirmations, neurolinguistic reprogramming. There's like a whole bunch of things that really help us get to the root memories that are responsible for triggering your present day stress. So you'll come to me, we'll get really grounded, we'll observe like what are the emotional patterns in your life that you're experiencing that you'd rather not experience, whether it's depression, sadness, fear, anxiety, whatever. And then what are the physical symptoms that you're having, whether it's a headache or anorexia or sinus infections or chronic migraines, whatever. And then we're going to set an intention. We're going to actually program that intention into the subconscious and find the memory that's responsible for triggering all of those things you came in with. We're going to upgrade the cellular memory of that experience and reintegrate that part of you. Whatever that part is that's been showing up as all of these maladaptive methods, we're going to heal that on a cellular level. So we do it in a very unique way. It's like the most comprehensive system I've ever found to help people really heal. And at the same time, you know, you can go to a hypnotist and you can go to a Reiki master and you can do all the energetic healing and all of that I think is necessary. This is kind of an all-inclusive moment where we're going to do things from the bottom up. And then if you want to go see a therapist and talk about what came up, do it. I highly encourage that. We are going to locate memories that you would never consciously think to go to. Because I have people that come in and they know, for the most part, the traumas that they've experienced in their life. But more often than not, any memory that we have that's under the surface that we don't even know is there is also trauma in nature. Because anything that's electrically charged or emotionally charged that we don't even know we're holding on to is forcibly going to show up in the body or it's going to show up in the mind or it's going to show up in the energy field. 
And so we might be processing moments from childhood or past lives or generational patterns, and we can locate exactly what moment is responsible for triggering your present day experience. So it's a little bit different, more intricate than maybe some other methods out there that I've found. So um, when you do your work, you know, a lot of work now is done virtually and things. So is your work done solely in person? No, I'm actually all remote right now. So oh, wow. I have the, the gift of serving people around the world, which I'm really grateful to do. And, you know, we navigate time zones and all that good stuff. And I'm hoping, well, we'll see, but at some point in the future, if there's a need for in-person work locally, I'm happy to do that too. I live in Colorado for a reason. There's so much integrative care out here and alternative methods. And I really do feel this is the way of the world. I'm wanting all of us healthcare providers and non-medical healthcare providers to band together and to bridge the conscious with the subconscious and bridge the inner with the outer and really just come together to support each other in the work that we're doing. So, you know, if anyone's listening and, you know, saying, okay, so where's the, where's the research that this work, where's the, you know, people like something that says, okay, there's been studies on this or show me, show me that this is actually valid. Like, what do you say about that? Oh yeah. Well, the modern science movement is all about epigenetics. Okay. So epigenetics is, it means above genes. And what that means is that we are not here to suffer. We're not here to inherit trauma. We are here to transform it into infinite growth potential. Okay. And so instead of being victim to our circumstances, epigenetics is a study. You can look up Dr. Bruce Lipton. He's all about it. But when you shift your internal environment on a cellular level, you shift your external environment naturally. That's a byproduct of when you actually go deeper in and you can upgrade the memory that's stagnated in your cells, you can live the life of your desire. And naturally, a byproduct of that is going to be living and changing sustainably. So if you're somebody who's been in the revolving door of treatment and you're still stuck in the same old patterns that you never thought could heal, those perceptions are where we start. We can rewire the neuronal networks that are responsible for keeping you protected and safe and upgrade them to present day so that you're not operating on looped patterns. It's the same thing as what a computer does. Computers have files. And if you don't upgrade the software of your system, it's going to naturally crash. So epigenetics and Dr. Bruce Lipton is an absolute resource. Also, Dr. Masaru Emoto, he's responsible for water consciousness theory. And he has studied water crystals and how intentional energy, when you bring your intention into something, changes the actual crystals of water. And so he infused greed and envy and love and hate and all these different frequencies into water. He studied that love and gratitude have the highest vibrations of intentional energy of all frequencies on the planet. And so because we as humans are more than 60% water, different organs and elements and cells and pathogens in our systems all have different water content within them, we can shift our crystals within us, our cellular expression, based on the intention that we're bringing. So this is seemingly new information in the, in the westernized medical world, but anywhere and everywhere else you look, this is what it's always been. 
This is found in vibrational medicine studies. It's found in modern medicine studies. It's found in integrative care studies. And so you can find in Easternized care studies. There's so much out there, but I have a whole list of resources on my website as well if folks want that. So I have on my website films and books and things that you can read and places to start. So that website is innerrealmwellness.life. So there's two R's, innerrealmwellness.life. And there's a resource page under the subconscious healing tab. And you can just peruse and take it at your own pace. But I highly encourage that. I know that that will be questions uh, or people might be thinking that. So thank you for that. Um, and I was actually going to ask, so if people do want to find you, work with you. Um, thank you for giving your website. Um, are there other social media outlets where people can also follow you, find you, get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So I have tons of free content and free resources on social media. Instagram and Facebook are the two biggest ones. And it's just my business's name. So Inner Realm Wellness is the tag. And you can find me. I have lots of video content. I'd love to hear from you as far as your experiences in life and what you're currently working on, what you currently want support with. You can just direct message me. I'm very accessible there. And I also have a free gift on my website if you're interested in checking that out. It's really just a comprehensive affirmation and resource kit for sustained health and wellness. So it's a choose your own adventure, no matter where you are in your healing journey. If you need something just as a little oomph to support you right now, this is a do no harm process. So you can just download that on the free gift page and that's available to get you started there's a lot of exercises there and experiential work that I offer clients and I encourage them to do in between our sessions together. So that's something that is available for you as well. Thank you so much. This has been enlightening and eye-opening. I always love bringing people on that A, are willing to share their own stories and journey. So thank you for being vulnerable and doing that. And, you know, talking about something that maybe is not so mainstream and can open people's eyes to maybe a new way of healing and, come and contact you so definitely we'll have all that in the show notes so um any last final words before we end thank you so much i'm so grateful you know i have gotten so much clearer these days about how this really is the way forward and when i say this i don't mean you know necessarily subconscious healing although that's a huge part of it but integrative care like binding eastern and western together really feels like the sweet spot it's not about you know one over the other it really is about just helping people find the right resources and support that resonates most for them. And I have been and also seen so many people struggling with the same old, same old for years and years and cycling through the same struggles and really wanting to know what that thing is that's going to make recovery happen for them. I never thought recovery was even possible for me. I would see people in recovery or say that they were recovered and it would be like, oh my God, how does that happen? And I'd roll my eyes and I would just doubt my own potential every single time. And so this is about you knowing your own infinite potential and accessing the innate wisdom within you. And it reminds me of that quote that says, the power that creates the pot, the body heals the body. The power that creates the body heals the body, right? Like whatever it is that's in you, that's protecting you is also here to help you. And I really just want to help people befriend those parts in them that are showing up and trying to keep them alive. And the greatest irony I think about any addiction, regardless of whether it's, you know, food or drugs or whatever is, that the thing that is killing you is also really working to keep you alive. And so there's so much wisdom in wherever you are right now. And I also want to help 
you know, create that support for you so that you don't have to go through it alone. Karen Page, thank you so much. We appreciate you being here. Thank you too. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.